Broadcasting live from the Phoenix Business Radio X studio in Tempe, Arizona, you are tuning in to Culture Crush with Kendra Maples. This podcast will dive into a variety of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. and welcome to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. On this podcast, we focus on everything surrounding businesses with a good company culture. We dive into companies that are crushing it with a great culture, and then we also bring others in to talk about it from the resource perspective. So what are the resources that are out there to help build companies with a good company culture? Today is, I'd say, a little mix of both. I have two amazing gentlemen that come from companies that are working very hard to improve culture and also both provide resources for improving culture, um, specifically in the accessibility spaces where we'll talk a little bit today. So today on the show, on the screen, we have Blake Steinick, the growth manager for Clusive. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing good. It's awesome to be here. I'm so excited. And then in the studio, we have David Steinmetz the Public Relations Manager for Arizona Industries for the Blind. Welcome. Thank you, Kendra. Great to be here. I am so excited. And then we do have two others in the room that if people are watching this on video, won't see and won't also hear in the conversation. We have Jesse, our producer, behind the mic on the other side. And we have Rufus, (laughs) David's seeing eye dog that is napping on my foot right now. And I love him and I don't want him to leave. So they are part of this conversation. You just might not hear them chime in. Gentlemen, I am, I mentioned this before we went on air. I am so excited for this conversation. I know I say that for all of these podcast (laughs) recordings, but with you two in particular, I have learned so much from you already in such a short amount of time. So I am extremely honored to have both of you together and that we get to have this conversation recorded. I feel like sometimes we have really great conversations with people and then later on it's like, oh, what was that thing they said? And, you know, you, you want to tell somebody else, but you can't phrase it the same way. And so today is rad because we get to record it. So this is going to be perfect. So I want to start with hearing a little bit about you guys. Blake, I'm going to start with you because you're up on the big screen for us today. So tell us a little bit about you your background, how you got to, you know, where you are with Clusive. Um, You can even say how I met you, who that little connector piece was. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, go for it. Absolutely. So to give a bit of context on my story and what led me to this conversation, uh, as my life has taken some turns, I'll give some background on my story. So I grew up in San Marcos in North County, San Diego. I still live here as it's an amazing place. And I grew up with perfect vision. I was a competitive athlete and a competitive student. And at the age of 16, in my junior year of high school, I was diagnosed with a condition called LHON or Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy. And with that, I learned that I would slowly lose all my central vision and become legally blind. And I had no idea what the heck that would mean. I was quickly flooded with doubts of how could I keep up in school? How could I get a job one day? I'm probably done playing sports. How could I be in a relationship? All these questions kind of flooded my mind as I wasn't sure how to live life with a disability, live life being blind, and kind of set me on this journey of relearning how to do so much of life as I continued throughout high school and then in college and jobs and internships and my career path where there's so many little things that I've had to relearn. And for example, in college, I ended up graduating early, got a super good GPA, all the accolades I could, but it was so incredibly difficult and challenging, not because of the content. I clearly showed I could do that but it was the extra hours that I would have to spend on assignments that weren't accessible. It was the extra time it would take to get things converted uh, with different IT departments. And it was just the conversations with professors to advocate. There was just so much extra stuff to do, so much to figure out on my own. And I thought technology was my biggest frustration and, and enemy, 
but I came to realize it was also my best friend because it's what really unlocked a lot for me to be able to do and stay competitive. And I got my degree in marketing, minored in Spanish, and after college, uh, worked in software sales for a little bit, and then worked in marketing in the mountain bike industry, uh, as that's been something I've always loved. And I came to find that my passions had really changed since my vision loss, and I really wanted to work in technology and accessibility, uh, you know, helping make technology more accessible for people with disabilities. So last year kind of pivoted things and did a variety of roles doing accessibility testing and training, all sorts of different things. And one of those part-time roles that I started last June turned to full-time work with Clusive uh, last September, where I've done quite a lot of things. And uh, now as a growth manager, help lead marketing. And what Clusive is, we can unpack more throughout, but basically we're in helping remove barriers to employment for the blind community through our accessible e-learning platform that we've built with courses that help teach technology and career skills, all just really designed to help equip people for employment, to teach those technology skills that I wish I knew, to teach all those soft skills that I wish I knew when my vision loss first happened on, on how to advocate, disclosing your disability, getting accommodations, all sorts of things. We wanna make a quality online curriculum and courses so that's in one place for people to really get prepared for employment. And yeah, that's long story short there. And how I got connected here with you, Kendra, is actually my aunt, Kelly, is good friends with Kendra. And as I love to connect and talk with people, we got connected and it's been great to share about accessibility and disability inclusion and get to unpack this more on the show here. Yeah. Thank you for the intro and a little bit of the insight. We'll definitely unpack more about Clusive, unpack more about the mountain biking piece. And yes, it was your Aunt Kelly that introduced us, which is so cool. We are really good friends now. She was a guest on my show like two years ago. And then we just stayed in uh, touch and and met up more frequently and went for coffee and things like that. And now she has her own live show on LinkedIn that she does every Tuesday. And so it's been really cool. We're, we're you know, we started as just connections in the community and now we're really cheerleaders for each other. So when she said, hey, let me tell you about my nephew, I was freaking blown away. And I was like, I must talk with him. <laughs> I must bring him into this conversation. So I'm stoked that we finally get to have you on and, and record the conversation. So thank Absolutely. you. David, tell me about you. I, You and I, right, we've mm -hmm. gotten to know each other a little bit more recently. And there's right. a cool connection of how we were introduced actually through this studio. Exactly. Um, but give us a little bit of insight and and background and um, a little bit more about you. Sure. Thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit about uh, things that I'm passionate about uh, in terms of employing people with disabilities and uh, changing the perception of blindness mm -hmm. by having one conversation at a time. And this is a great opportunity to do that. Uh, so thank you very much. And Blake, thanks for sharing uh, your story. So I have a hereditary retinal disease known as retinitis pigmentosa, or also known as RP. It, it uh, affects about one in every 4,000 people. And uh, it's kind of interesting when I was diagnosed, right? I was in my late 20s. The doctor told me, okay, so you're going to have, your vision will end up being like to walk into a dark movie theater. And I go, oh, that doesn't seem too bad. So I, I didn't put much emphasis into it. We didn't have a lot of information at the time. Mm -hmm. So I lived kind of this d double life as someone who's sighted, but someone who's also losing their vision. I wasn't in any pain from this disease. I just kind of forgot about it for a while, to be honest with you. And as a young man, just did the crazy things that young men do. As my vision continued to decrease, so it's a loss of peripheral vision, starting like with tunnel vision, uh, and then impacts uh, the visual acuity, the central vision to where either uh, you could be considered legally blind 
um, and then to, in some cases, having no vision. So as that visual field, the world kind of kept closing in on me. I had all these negative perceptions, my own, of what blindness is, as well as what others thought blindness is. And so, for example, when I was working for a small manufacturing company, my vision got to a point where I couldn't drive anymore. And I went in and, and told the, the owner. And in that split second, he saw me from an asset to his company to a liability to his organization. Hmm. And he said, don't leave your desk. Um, you know, you don't need to go out into the shop anymore to do the things that my, my job responsibilities required of me. And so I figured I need to go back to school. Um, this is not the way that I want to be perceived and lived. And, and so in order for me to grow, I felt that education was part of that. And I also started getting part of the disability community. And when I went out to the job market, I was not using a guide dog at that time. I had a mobility cane. I interviewed really well after graduation over the phone, walked into... Uh, an interview in person, and you can feel the atmosphere change. Someone's the hiring manager across the table looking at me again as, how am I going to hire this person? How are they going to do the job? So I worked at home for a few years uh, doing contact center work. Uh, I missed the engagement with people and having that camaraderie uh, of work and being in the workspace. So my vocation rehabilitation counselor connected me with Arizona Industries for the Blind. And after 18 years of personal and professional growth, I've been able to uh, go from a kind of a customer service process position to a leadership position. And now I get to go out as the public relations manager into the, the community, both the disability community and the private sector. Uh, as well as in the public sector, connecting with our legislators to change that perception of blindness, that people who are blind can compete and be successful in the workplace. Mm -hmm. The work that you're doing, both of you, when I say this, is so phenomenal. Obviously, there's a lot of perception behind blindness. And mm -hmm. uh, David, I want you to tell everyone the other meaning of that, not just changing the perception of blindness as a statement, but it is also your podcast got connected with, with Karen Nowicki and the Phoenix Business Radio X, uh, saw the great things she was doing in the community, uh, reached out to her. We had uh, coffee one day, and uh, the, as you kind of made those connections, mm -hmm. um, it was great. We were at the Culture Crush event, uh, the quarterly event, uh, just last week, mm -hmm. and Karen was there, and she did this really great exercise where she asked, people, uh, she brought out like a giant ball of string and said, you know, hang on to this. And then she started calling out connections and people. And this string went all the way around the room, back and forth, zigzagging. And it's great to see how this community of podcasters and the ecosystem here in Arizona building culture um, and inclusion in this community and all the connections. So it's been wonderful. Yeah. And then being able to share moments like this, right? Mm -hmm. So you became a host of a show. I was already a host of a show. And then Daryl, our other producer, was like, oh, well, the two of you should meet. Mm -hmm. And then I got to know you. And I'm like, well, geez, you count as one of these resources for helping companies. Absolutely. And then I connected you with Lake because I'm like, well, you guys can support each other because you're mm -hmm. both helping in that inclusion space, the policy change space, and, and helping with... Um, just placement, right, of jobs and, mm -hmm. and that support system. So then I connected you guys. And so that connection piece and that growth piece is, I think, really important mm -hmm. in as an underlying theme with all of this, right, when it comes to making change. Um, making change is making conversations happen. So I love that you have your podcast as well. Mm -hmm. And then that leads to let's jump more into this conversation of, okay, how do we start to make these conversations? How do we start to, in your words, David, change the perception of blindness? Because there is a perception, right? Mm -hmm. And even I'm, mm -hmm. I'm learning and I'm, I'm for lack of better terms, seeing further into that mm -hmm. space. I'm already seeing some perceptions that people have, right? Like, oh, well, you're just born blind. Well, a lot of people that have 
something that takes away their vision. It's not from day one, right? Both of you went 20 years, 15, 16 years, like with having your vision, right? And then having that taken away. And David, hearing your story of you kind of almost ignored it for a while until it mm-hmm. was very present and very in front of you to have to deal with, right? And exactly. then having to learn the tools and find the resources. And so let's let's maybe start there. Like, um, talk to me about like that process of how can we help inclusion in this space? Why is it important to support you know, when it comes to inclusive hiring and and all of that, especially when you have this entire spectrum of folks that have no visibility and, you know, are completely blind all the way to folks that maybe if they just don't wear their glasses, right, that's, they might be in that range of not being able to drive because of being technically legally blind too, right? So, I want to kind of start in that space, like like the importance of it. How can we support people? What does that look like? Like, where do we go? How do we start? <laughs> We're going to solve yeah. this problem today in this studio. <laughs> I got you. I, Let's do it. Yeah, I, I like, David, how you say changing blindness one, one conversation at a time or changing the pers- perspectives on blindness. And... I think it's good to start at that highest of levels, especially because I think there's this underlying fear to offend people in our culture, which holds people back from conversation and just having that one conversation at a time. And I think we don't know what to say. We don't know what to ask. And we're just afraid. So we don't even ask. And then we're left feeling more misunderstood and isolated, which is is and has been one of my biggest uh, fears and challenges I face. And I think, David, you captured it well, where we are trying to like avoid this blindness that is coming and trying to act like a sighted person. And we're working through all these perceptions that we didn't realize we had, but then we're thinking them on ourselves. Uh, But I think just realizing having conversations and not being afraid to offend people and just engaging, uh, because I'd be more afraid of having people feel misunderstood and isolated than maybe offending them when I'm probably not going to at all mm-hmm. uh, is kind of just the highest level thing I would want to start start by saying. Yeah, I would agree with you, Blake. It comes from the fact I, I see it as is that is right as a lack of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, blindness is, is in general a low uh, percentage of people who are blind. So there's not, you know, about 2% of the population, people in the U.S. have a visual impairment or legal blindness. It's not often that you have that opportunity to have interactions with mm-hmm. somebody with a, who is blind. Mm-hmm. So like Blake said, right, is, is the fear of offending, asking questions. Um, and, you know, I take the bus to work and I'd be standing waiting for the bus and you know, we'd just be having a normal conversation with the people that all ride the same bus. And, you know, I said something about making coffee and people are like, wait, you can make a cup of coffee? And, you know, first thought is, well, why would you think I can't? Mm-hmm. And then you look at, okay, well, because they're having trouble envisioning that. It's it's their, their vision loss, right? Mm. And not going, okay, right, you, you, let's ask them, how do you make coffee? And so we we are kind of breaking down those stigmas through these conversations. Mm-hmm. It comes as well as, uh, you know, for me, and my journey was understanding my own perception and what blindness is. It is part of me, but it doesn't define me as a, as a person. And my actions and, you know, how I live my life defines that not. Um, so if if I'm afraid to show up, then how can I expect anybody else to? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's fear on both sides, mm-hmm. right? It's sure. fear of, especially for both of you, you know, I'm, I'm guessing, right, as that was all new to you and you're going through this, you had the fear of asking for help and asking for those resources. Or like you said, you thought technology in the beginning was your barrier, but really it was it was on your side. So the fear is there on both sides. Mm-hmm. It's asking for help, asking for the support, figuring out how to maneuver those interviews, right? Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, 
it's fear of one, if you're not interacting with that 2%, you, you don't know what you don't know. And then when you do interact with the 2% that's blind and visually impaired, not wanting to offend, right? Not, not knowing what questions do I ask? And I've learned in this space, you just have to ask. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sent David a message before my event and I sent you the message and I said, okay, I saw this flyer. It had this little sticker on the bottom and it was Braille and it was so cool. And, and I was like, David, how do I do this? Where did this come from? Do mm -hmm. I do this? Do I have to know Braille? Is there a printer? Who, like, where in the world does this come from? I want to do this. I want to support you and, you know, your community and, and be fully inclusive. But I have no idea where this magical little thing came from. <laughs> and how easy he was here. Here's a link. It's a it's a little label printer. And I called a couple of printing companies. They didn't have it. And I was really disappointed because they're like, oh, well, I've been doing this for 10 years and I've never been asked. And I was like, well, now you have. So find the solution. Right. <laughs> My solution in that moment, I just bought the label maker. Mm -hmm. So I'm super stoked. I should have it in a couple of weeks. And then I get to use it, right? Mm -hmm. But I just had to ask. That really was it. You mentioned the event on Monday. David was there. He had a table set up for Arizona Industries for the Blind. The space was a big brewery with some tables and things in the way. And so the same thing. I asked David beforehand. I said, how can I help support you in this. What do you need from me? Do you need me to walk you around, see the space? I just had to ask the questions. I know that I need to do that. Not everybody does. Mm -hmm. And not everybody feels comfortable doing that, right? Right. And so as we're talking about this, right, fear from both sides, from both of your perspectives, how do you see other ways of including people into the conversation because it's inclusion both sides, right? It's inclusion mm -hmm. for the blind community. It's inclusion for seeing people, but right. I'm, I have fine vision now, right. But mm -hmm. including people like me into the conversation to support you, where do you see some of the areas of growth? Where do you see some of the barriers that we still have in all of this too? Blake, you want to start <laughs> off with sure. that? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, there, there's so much there, and I want to hopefully break it down to the practical. Yes. But I think, Kendra, you saying that it is a two-sided thing is really important, especially in the business context. As I always like to see it, there's there's things that employers can do to be more inclusive. but And sometimes we think like, oh, just have the workplace be super inclusive and have all their digital assets be fully accessible and like, we're good to go. But if there are people in the blind community that don't know how to use their technology, they don't know how to ask for accommodations, they don't know how to advocate, they they don't have those skills, it's like, I don't want to say it doesn't work, but you you both have to meet each other halfway. And sometimes uh, it, it has felt like I have to go 90% of the way and just hope the employer on the other side just goes 10% for me. But ideally, it should be, you know, 50-50, um, at least conceptually. And I think on one side, there, or at a high level, there's there's barriers with the technology uh, that where websites aren't accessible, the business softwares that we all use, the Google Suite, Microsoft Suite, for example, they becoming more and more accessible, but maybe aren't the most usable. Mm -hmm. And with that, on one side, uh, people who are blind or vision impaired need to learn how to use those technologies better. On the other side, the companies that make those softwares need to make them more accessible. And then the companies that are hiring people need to look at, is my tech stack the, uh, using tools that are as accessible as they could be? And are, is there flexibility once we do hire people? And I think there is a very technical side to this conversation. And there is a very, I don't want to say just conceptual, but not the most tangible where it's about having the conversation and just growing points of understanding where when you're looking at hiring, I, I was always told that if there, if I have the same resume as somebody else that is fully able-bodied, they're going to pick that person 
that just how it goes, they're going to see that they're more equipped for the job. And I used to believe that. And I think that led me to think I had to achieve 125%. And I ended up doing that and realizing, no, I, I don't have to do that. If I had the same resume as somebody else, I would hope that the person hiring me would see uh, my I've had to do all this with my disability, which has made me a problem solver, a critical thinker, maybe have to be creative, hopefully more easygoing, have some humility uh, from a lot of uncomfortable and humbling situations. And I think it just, in this conversation, seeing that there can be a lot of asset that blind people can bring, that people with disabilities can bring, is really huge to to know that it's not, this is not just some feel-good thing, like, oh, do this good thing and you'll feel better and it'll just be a good time. It's like, no, like you should hopefully be seeing these people as assets and you should be seeing where to te- you can technically remove friction with technology and have that perspective change as well. But those are a couple areas my mind quickly goes to. Yeah, I love that, Blake, about, I've been having a lot of conversations, right? And we were talking about both parties showing up and, a lot of times as someone acquires a disability, disability, whether it's later in life or at birth and is going, uh, looking for employment, is that there's no one size fits all to blindness or how you use technology mm-hmm. and what's currently available. So you mentioned the Microsoft uh, accessibility uh, features in it. Are vocation rehabilitation programs training people to be job ready? Mm-hmm. Um, I love, you know, during, uh, Blake, your, uh, uh, introduction yourself talking about the soft skills and talking about all the different technologies so that when you show up for an interview or you get hired that they may not have the same screen reader that you're used to using that you were taught. And now you're not maybe as functional in the workspace as you should be. Mm. And so, because they use a different screen reader. Mm-hmm. So not having knowledge of multiple screen readers or different software applications, having the, the soft skills and, and all the other uh, skill sets to identify, right? Talk about your overcoming barriers. As well as then from the, from the employer side, I think, you know, the disability community really can utilize, you know, allies in Mm -hmm. the inclusion and equity uh, diversity programs and saying that there are a lot of underrepresented groups that are deserving of of the opportunity, just like people with disabilities. So those conversations in DEIA Mm -hmm. uh, conversations should include disabilities, I think is another way that we can look at how do we create more opportunities more awareness and allowing people with who are blind to just thrive in their job because they have gained all those skills and are are showing up at your door. Mm-hmm. And looking at that process from all the angles, like you said, there's different screen readers, right? Just mm-hmm. like there's different, I mean, we've got cameras in the studio. There's different cameras. Mm-hmm. Jesse had to learn this camera studio, this podcast studio, right? He can't necessarily pop into another one. Maybe he could figure it out a little bit, right? But it, they're going to be different tools. And mm-hmm. so I'm glad you said that of even just using a screen reader. One screen reader is different than another, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Blake, you and I have talked about this with your work and with Clusive, you being able to work remotely. Like right there, that's a game changer when it comes to the inclusion space. And since I've had these conversations with Blake, I am so strong of a believer that companies don't have to be in person all the time. You know, there can be this hybrid work from home thing. And it's Blake, it's because of you. And I learned about the tools that you use and all the stuff that you have at home. And then you don't have to worry about, okay, how do I get to my work location in the morning? And, you know, David, like, Am I on the bus? Do I have Rufus with me? Do I have somebody drop me off? Like all of these other pieces just for you to start the day, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Man, I'm going to die on this hill one day (laughs) of fighting for hybrid workplace flexibility, um, (laughs) even just from that perspective of Mm -hmm. the tools, right? Right. Blake has his tools at home. That's what he knows. And he doesn't have to, you know, learn new tools in a different workplace. 
So I'm really glad you said that about those screen readers even being different because it's not one size fits all, right? Exactly. And so again, having these conversations from both sides. So when it comes to inclusive hiring, what are like some of these important pieces to know, either from both your perspectives, right? Or maybe something that you would like the employers to see, or, I mean, both of you are working with people um, with blindness to help them grow their own knowledge and training and capability and, and be part of the workforce. Mm -hmm. So what are some of these other pieces of inclusive hiring that you would like companies to try, or maybe something that your companies are doing right now? Both of you work for companies that are building great culture too. Yeah, you can start on this one, David. All right, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's important if, if you're going to uh, look at bringing in people who are blind into your organization, right? One, it has to be intentional. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not just a checkbox, right? We're, yes. we're going to work with the, you know, from frontline workers all the way up to the management team have to be on board. Yep. And then I think it's important to think about what your process is, what your organization, you know, what, what your intentions are for this program, mm -hmm. then set out on that journey. And, and from how you recruit, are your websites accessible? Mm -hmm. Are your job descriptions really intentional? I, I find a lot under the minimum qualifications, a lot of times someone will throw in, must have a valid driver's license. Knowing the job description doesn't mm. say that you're going to be driving. That's not any part of the, the job responsibility. Does that exclude me then from that position because I don't have a valid driver's license? Yeah. Not that I can't drive. It's that I shouldn't drive and I don't drive, right? I, I, know, I know 10 and 2. I know the gas is on the right and the brake is somewhere down there. Um, and, and you just go. So it, it really about thinking about your process and thinking about the, the process, you know, the process of recruiting. What does your onboarding training look like? What are the supports are you? I read somewhere just not too long ago that reasonable accommodation, right? And Benny's afraid that it's going to cost a bunch of money to hire someone who's blind or someone with a disability if they ask for a reasonable accommodation. But 60% of reasonable accommodations are free to low cost. And then, and then the 40% are about $500 or less. Mm -hmm. So it's not super expensive to hire someone who is blind, mm -hmm. uh, to, who is going to ask for a reasonable accommodation. Uh, you know, we talked about some of the applications, just building it into part of their their uh, suite of applications, their pr uh, productivity mm -hmm. applications. So if you're going to use this application, it's already built in there. Yeah. And I think those are some ways that companies can kind of start thinking about uh, inclusion of people who are blind in their workforce. Yeah, I think those are great. And I'm glad, and Blake, then I want to jump to you, but I'm glad you said in the beginning of that, you said it's not just a check in the box. Mm -hmm. um, I work with a lot of companies that, so Culture Crush as a business, we're a hub for company culture resources, right? So a lot of times when I'm doing an assessment with a company, they come to me and they say, um, we want to work on DEI, right? And so, okay, cool. What does that mean to you? Like, do you even know what these letters mean? Or are you just spewing this out because your board said that you should do it, right? Like, what does this truly mean? So I do a deep dive with them to really figure out when you say DEI, what do you mean, right? Or is there, is this a reactive thing? Did something happen? Or are you trying to hire maybe somebody with disabilities or maybe in the LGBTQ community, like, is this a reactive thing that you need to do? Or are you trying to be proactive to really look at it from the perspective of inclusion and accessibility? And so that you can be open and looking at, you know, those job descriptions ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. um, what does that mean? And in most cases, we, that deep dive really does turn into them being like, Oh, <laughs> like this, I just see the explosion of the, the brain of like, yeah, I don't even know what the E stands for. Our board just said work on DEI and now we got to figure it out. So I love these examples of, you know, how to truly start to do this and making it intentional and knowing that it's not going to cost a billion dollars. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that label maker I bought was like 50 bucks, 45 bucks. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm going to label everything. It's going to be great. <laughs> David's going to be so annoyed later. He's going to be like, Kendra, stop labeling everything. Rufus is going to have a label on Oh, my him. gosh. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Actually, funny side note, and then, Blake, I want to jump over to you. David, when I went to visit Arizona Industries for the Blind, so phenomenal being able to walk around and see and check out the facility. I got home and I told my stepdaughter about it and she's 13. So she's, you know, we're introducing all of these things to her. We're the ones that get to introduce these conversations to her. And she's so cute. She goes, is everything in Braille? And I was like, I don't actually think I saw any Braille, you know, like there's so much technology involved and, you know, things on the on the ground to help with pathways and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And then seeing her face, she was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. You know, like, again, we're changing this perception. This Mm -hmm. 13-year-old just thought, like, I don't know, the whole whole building would be covered in in Braille bumps. (laughs) (laughs) So this perception and that, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't have to cost a fortune. So, yes. So thank you for that. Um, Blake, what about you? Any other thoughts on, you know, the importance important sure. things with with hiring and inclusion and how to kind of help both sides. Yeah, for sure. I think it was a good note that you added there because sometimes when people can look at disability inclusion or just things with DEI, it can be very overwhelming or abstract mm-hmm. or so what do we even do about this? Or we just think, oh, we just need to like accept some things and then we're good to go. Mm-hmm. But it's about changing perceptions and then we and that allows us to know what to do in this process. And when we look at hiring, I think it's important to first understand, okay, this is around 2% of the population, but 70% of the blind community around that number is unemployed. And so an even smaller amount of those people are in employment, seeking employment, or are you know just in the workforce day-to-day life. So it's an even smaller amount that we're actually seeing and a much bigger amount that needs to be there and needs to be in the conversation and in employment opportunities. And kind of to my previous point of we can get overwhelmed of being like, there's so many different things to do. I think it's important to know your role in accessibility and inclusion because a web developer's role is going to be very different from someone in HR in charge of hiring. And it helps break it down to be more practical to realize, okay, if I'm the web developer, developer, I can influence things about how accessible our website is. If I'm the person in charge of hiring, I can be mindful of how I'm making these job descriptions. If I'm making a, putting a phone number or email for someone to reach out in case they're having any accessibility barriers with maybe the third party uh, application program that they're using, or the head of software engineering could be looking at, okay, how are these products we use internally made accessibly? Or the CTO looking at how can we adjust our tech stack so that we're not just reactive once we have a person that's using assistive technology, but proactive. Because a lot of the times, the most accessible tools are the ones everybody loves and uses. You know, everybody really likes Apple products because they're simple, easy to use. Anyone can pick it up. Also, pretty much the most accessible products as well. So I think seeing how these things go hand in hand is important and seeing how there's a lot of different roles in this process, which allows it to kind of break apart this conversation and see the practical areas that you can fill in and make the research and investigation and how you can help a bit more tangible or digestible. Like I love how you you talked about breaking it down into smaller smaller bites um, and letting those in those fields right the team members in that field handle the, those things so whether it's accessibility right letting your your web developer do that then you don't have to be the subject matter expert on everything mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and it kind of goes along with what Kendra you're doing as a resource is let's let's break down these conversations and what. DEIA means. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had the conversation right when we talked about 
our uh, brown bag lunch and learn series and mm-hmm. and you know we want to focus on health and and wellness and well what does that mean mm-hmm. that's a great question what does that mean <laughs> and so it's having those conversations and really taking that deep dive as to that and then bringing in and asking the question that you talked about top of the show is is ask reach out to your community reach out to organizations that are focused on accessibility and, and mm-hmm. have user testers that can help you through this process. So it's not something that you have to, you know, develop and implement all yourself as, as the leader of the organization, right? Is, is, and just taking those small bites, assigning those roles and letting that those in the, in the community support you as well. Mm-hmm. It, it makes it less daunting. If you're mm-hmm. the head of the company and it's like, okay, I have to figure out, the HR write-up. I have to figure out the software. I have to figure out, you know, the graphic design, right? Like all the stuff that you mentioned, that is extremely daunting. And so if you can break it up, find your resources, find the people in the community to help, you know, then it, it makes it more of a community effort for us to work towards this inclusion piece mm-hmm. for everybody, right? Absolutely. Um, Definitely. I So as we're having this conversation about inclusion and with you guys, I want to step, not back, I want to step into a piece of this. And that's both of the companies that you work for are not only companies that are extremely inclusive, but they are very intentional about building great company culture. Um, I know Two examples. One, David, with you, right? Mm-hmm. You're really focusing on the health and wellness piece. What does that mean? How do you provide this to the staff? You're doing it through those brown bag lunches. Mm-hmm. Beautiful example of inclusion and resources and supporting those people outside of mm-hmm. the workplace um, as well as inside the workplace. Blake, I know an example from your company. When you started, right, you got a stipend to buy a cowboy hat. and I'll let you explain a little bit more, but I want to tap into a little bit. We're diving into this about inclusion, which I love. So I want to tie in the inclusion piece to both of your workplaces and how does helping disability, you know, how can disability inclusion impact the company culture and what you guys are already seeing in your own companies? I want to, um, take this inclusion piece, but I want to loop it into your own personal companies. So Blake, let's start with you. When you started, you got a stipend for a cowboy hat. Please elaborate. <laughs> I got to hear that. Yes. It's fantastic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So inclusive, yeah. It, 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 what inclusive has is cowboy hat Fridays where we all wear our cowboy hats on Fridays. And um, the c- kind of story the simple answer is, oh, inclusive is based out of Austin, Texas, and like our founder and co-founder, they love cowboy hats and all that stuff. But I think it's a cool thing that encapsulates. I feel like cowboy hats is this unique part of American culture and symbolizes kind of what we really believe in helping making the American dream accessible. Mm-hmm. And Luke, our founder, uh, he is a wounded Purple Heart veteran. And he was able to fight for the American dream and having a very challenging and rough upbringing after the military was able to like find his American dream. And in that whole journey was able, long story short, realized that uh, the blind community didn't have access to that American dream in terms of uh, the same resources and opportunity. And so I feel like it's this cool reminder as the cowboy hat can be the symbol for American culture the American dream, it uh, it brings us back to all that we're trying to do to make the American dream accessible and uh, especially accessible in the modern workforce. So I, I think it's also just like a fun thing of our company culture. Yeah, I feel like the team that we have is very unique. Mm-hmm. I remember one time Luke, the CEO, mentioned really nobody has that much in common uh, in our company in terms of like, we all come from such different places. But I think the fact that we connect around a mission Mm -hmm. and have these shared interests uh, that are like deeply, deep 
convictions that we're deeply passionate about. I think it shows how a mission can really bring people together. Uh, you know, around half of our company has been blind. Our team is at around 17-ish right now or something. And I think it's it's been like, you. I don't have something to say like, oh, we have these like policies in place to help with this and that accommodations and really rigorous process. I really feel like it's just an open communication uh, that is crucial for our speed of execution as a startup and also just how we are making sure everyone is being accommodated for and we adjust quickly as needed. And I think the biggest thing is that everybody is really respected for the value that they bring, but we can also understand one another for the challenges that we face. And I feel like in that we want to empower everybody that has a disability or not. And we all are empowering each other towards the mission that we rally under. And I feel like everyone can just really show up as themselves. That's kind of my quick summary and where my mind goes with how disability inclusion affects the culture at at large. Um, and it really isn't that hard. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And that you said, you know, when you look at all the people that work there, that no one really has things in common. That's fantastic, right? Like, mm. that's how you learn. That's how you grow. If you are around people that are, you know, have the same experiences and the same background and and all of that, it's it's harder to to reach out and expand. So I love that Clusive has that diversity, even just in personalities and, right? It doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be, okay, we look different. We're different colors. It could just be we have different backgrounds. We have different passions. Um, I've had staff before that they're all into video games. I I would rather do anything than play video games. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, anything, I, right? And But that's important, right? For sure. And I, I real quick, I think it's interesting how you could look and see the team and how diverse it is without really intentionally trying to. I think the really intentional thing is finding people from that can bring unique different types of value. Mm -hmm. And with that, it's not looking for surface level differences, but difference in background and upbringing and life experience in skill sets, in perspectives and socioeconomic levels. Yeah. And, um, you know, even amongst blindness, there are so many you know, blindness and disability doesn't discriminate. So there's yeah. so yes. many different perspectives that is kind of like, unintentionally slash intentionally created a uh, diverse, unique team. Yeah, I love that. As as an organization, AIB, kind of we we kind of foster that same mentality is that all our employees, whether sighted or blind, we all have our um, unique backgrounds and experiences, right? My experience and journey through blindness isn't the same as, as Blake's or anybody else's. Mm -hmm. And we bring all these together and we do it intentionally as a nonprofit, right? We're, we're focused on how do we maximize the number of jobs for people who are blind. Mm -hmm. And so we're bringing in all these people from all over the country, all with different experiences that we all have the same common mission, right? Is, is that of supporting our customer, mm -hmm. supporting each other and supporting ourselves. And those common commonalities bring and create that culture that says, I'm here if you need me to lean on each other to say, you know what, I'm having a bad vision day or whatever else, or you're not, you're not yeah. made to feel as though you couldn't, you're different because of your disability, right? And a lot of times our employees, one of our supervisors says, when I'm at work, I don't feel like I'm blind. I'm not seen as blind. I just come mm -hmm. in and do my job. But there's that commonality or support that says you can be who you want to be mm. and you can achieve what you want to achieve through having career and a choice of where you want to work and go in the direction that you want to go. I mean, I started, you know, on the front line and have been able through uh, different opportunities and business growth to do things that, um, you know, today doing that I never thought I would do as sitting behind a microphone um, hosting a podcast. I mean, it is never in my mind. And so it's, it's the opportunities that um, are allotted to people who are blind when organizations are, are open and willing to foster 
that inclusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's not it's not hard. It's not expensive. It just takes some intentional conversations mm-hmm. and choices, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. We have a few minutes as we start to wrap up, which is always crazy to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to make sure if there's anything that either one of you has in your head of something that you want to share. It could be something, maybe an example of something that you're doing at your workplace now to become and, you know, be more inclusive. I mean, you guys are doing phenomenal, but if if there's anything in that space, David, I know you're doing some stuff with policy change too. If there's anything in that space, any story, um, anything that you want to add into this conversation as we start to wrap up, that will help our listeners go, wow, I can do this. I can help. I can, you know, support this community or even just helping, right, change that perception mm-hmm. of blindness, an example that they can go. And Blake, I'm thinking I'm thinking of you in this with your mountain biking, right? Like I, that's not something I think people think of, right? Mm-hmm. So anything that you want to add in these last few moments that you want to be able to share while we get to record this and share it out, I want to give you guys a, a few moments as we wrap up. Sure. Um, I'd say, you know, from, from an organizational perspective, uh, you know, we, as I mentioned, we're really intentional in the, the hiring process mm-hmm. um, and the operational processes. And we also looked at how do we help our employees, not just from the nine to five, but from five to nine. What what is it that they do in their life outside of work that could be a barrier? Mm-hmm. Is it transportation? Is it access to technology? Uh, is it understanding what your benefits are from 401k and retirement to social security, right? So we put on brown bag lunch and learns. We've donated, uh, refreshed and, do- and donated you know, 60 computers to our employees who didn't have that technology at home. Mm-hmm. And we feel that if you have, right, you come to work, we teach you the process, our, our processes, um, these are the applications you're going to use. But if you have more opportunities to use Excel or uh, word processing software applications, now you've just expanded your skill sets. and. Mm-hmm provided an opportunity for someone to, to grow personally as well, and that can benefit them in the long run. So we want to focus on how we do that. I think from a higher arching, how do we make a dent in this 70% unemployment, 7 out of 10 people, as Blake was mentioning, that are underemployed or not employed, not in the workforce, mm-hmm. or sitting on the sidelines, is, is asking the questions and saying, what, what would it take? Mm-hmm. Um, connecting with the resource providers in your community, and they're just not in every state. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's a state vocational program. There are training facilities, and they can work with you to better understand the technology. So um, and the skill sets, because mm-hmm. I feel that uh, you know when I'm out doing presentations, the big aha moment is not me standing in front of them telling them all these things that people who blind can do, but seeing it for yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, coming into AIB and having that opportunity to see people engaged in the warehouse or fulfillment center to administrative support functions, mm-hmm. just, you know, any opportunity that someone who wants to work can have that opportunity. Beautiful. And I love that you are focusing on not just the nine to five, but the five to nine of mm-hmm. people and then your offer of coming to see that facility that that facility walking through that facility with you um, was mind-blowing for me and hearing about the things that you ship and that connection with military too and mm-hmm. I have a connection with the military like that whole thing was very much a game changer mm-hmm. and even to the point of you know my stepdaughter asking if there's braille everywhere right, right. and I was like nope that is very eye-opening and very impactful. So thank you for that. You bet. Thank you. Blake, what about you as we wrap up? Definitely. I, I feel like there's so much I, I could say. <clears throat> and um, on, you know, on a personal level to the point of mountain biking, I think if anybody could 
take just something away on a personal level of learning something from navigating life and obtaining a disability. I think of a story of when I, my vision loss was starting to happen, but I thought I could still mountain bike on my own. And I've always been one to find the craziest way down the hill. And I was going down and I was taking a line that should have been open, but there was a huge rock in the way that I didn't see. And I hit it, went over the bars. I got a concussion and I sat on the trail there sobbing and thought I just knocked out a lot more of my vision and um, from a concussion symptoms, but it did slowly come back and then got worse. But besides the point, uh, I think it, it was a crazy moment where I realized I was losing control in my life in an area that I loved. And I didn't think I could continue to ride. And I think just evaluating what are the areas in our life that we find our identity and worth in. And I really feel like we have an illusion of control in our life that we don't always have. And um, in that time, I, you know, I, I also continued to ride and in a new way and find have someone guide me and talk me through the trail. And even in that process, I tried to go as hard as I could. I put too much blood, sweat, and tears and crashing and thinking, oh, the better I get, then I'll prove myself to others. And then they'll want to take me riding more. But still, like, my identity wasn't found in how well I ride. And I didn't have the control that I used to. And I think in that time, I thank God for the perspective and the, the gratitude that we can have when we realize we don't have control of these things. We can find joy in the hard times that we face. And I think I've dealt with a lot of proving myself, uh, but I think if we could create spaces and environments and workplaces to foster inclusive hiring, I think that is amazing because it's not just, oh, have a job, but that's a place that we can become functioning members of society to help impact others. And I would just challenge people to look at what your role is and how you affect this conversation. Are you able to impact things in hiring? Are you able to impact things is in the accessibility of your digital assets with your company culture? And maybe people have invisible disabilities that you don't even know about. I think starting to ask those questions and really just start your research as funny as it may sound, ask ChatGPT. I'm sure it'll be a great start <laughs> to on, on where you could go in this journey. Then I would just love to share how people could learn more and connect with Clusive, but uh, we may be doing that next. <laughs> yes, that is the next piece. So before we step to that, I do I I want to say again what you just said. Your challenge to people, right, is how can you impact the hiring? How can you work on? company culture? How can you start the research and how can you ask the questions? That is a beautiful challenge. To continue this conversation is the other piece I would add to that, right? Mm -hmm. Continue having these conversations. If we don't have the conversations, no one's going to be able to share and then we're not going to learn, right? So beautiful yeah. challenge. So the last thing before I wrap off and wrap up and Jesse sends us off <laughs> with music and buttons, um, I want to make sure that people know how to reach both of you so that you can share more about your companies and what you're doing and the direction you're going in and how to help in that inclusion space. So Blake, let's start with you. Tell us how, as people are listening, how do they reach you and how do they learn more about Clusive? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to learn more about Clusive uh, and what we're doing to help train people in the blind community for work in the modern workforce, uh, you can contact us at www.clusive.io. It's C-L-U-S-I-V.io. And there you can learn more about us. Please feel free to fill out a form on our website and we'd love to have a conversation and share more how we can connect you with our graduates or share any other resources that we may have. If you want to connect with me personally, I think the best way would be LinkedIn. It's at Blake Steinica and with love to connect and talk more uh, just casually with any resources or whatever it may be. And then you will actually be on David's podcast next month. So yes. how cool you guys get to continue right. and even probably dig a little bit deeper in that conversation. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Blake. Yeah. David, how about you? How can people reach you and learn sure. more about AIB? 
So the uh, best way to learn more about uh, AIB is visiting our website, www.azifb.com. It's like Arizona Industries for the Blind.com, A-Z-I-F-B. And LinkedIn or email at dsteinmetz at azifb.com. Awesome. And if people are listening to and they need these connections or other connections in that inclusion space, please feel free to reach out to myself as well. This podcast started as an opportunity to bring conversations together around areas of company culture. And there's an entire company that's behind this that we, I feel like we've, we forget to mention, we forget to tell people. Um, Culture Crush is a company that is a hub for company culture resources. So what does that mean? That means we are here to help connect you to the resources you need to improve your company culture. If you have an idea and you have a direction of where you need to go, great, come to me. We'll do an assessment. We'll figure out what it means when you say you need DEI help. And if what you think you mean is really the resources you need, we'll do a deep dive and figure out there's some other resources that are out there that companies don't even know to search for when it comes for support in company culture. So please remember that it's not just a podcast. It is an entire company that's here to help you find the resources you need for improving company culture. So with all of that being said, Thank you, gentlemen, and thank you for everyone listening to another episode of the Culture Crush Business Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of Culture Crush, the only podcast out there that does a deep dive of companies that are crushing it with a great company culture. If you think your company has a strong culture that should be highlighted, please reach out to Kendra Maples on LinkedIn or email us at culturecrushpodcast at gmail.com.